Psalm 32, entitled the message, Blessed Forgiveness. Many years ago, somewhere, I read that there is, of course, there are many cemeteries in every state, but in the state of New York, a particular cemetery, and you walk through the cemetery, and like all other cemeteries, there are headstones with people's names, date of birth, maybe a kin relationship, mother, father, and death. But there's one stone in this cemetery doesn't have any of that. No date, no name has one word forgiven forgiven of all the blessings that we receive from the Lord is this not the most needed the best You can have a lot of things, but if you're not forgiven, you're in trouble. And you're miserable. So may the Spirit of God take the Word of God today and teach us some wonderful lessons about this sacred, sacred subject, forgiven. Father, we ask for the ministry of the Spirit of God upon us. that we would hear the word of the Lord, that we would enter, for some of us, many of us, freshly into the blessedness of transgressions forgiven. Something that King David had known for many years, but he lost. He forsook. And now we learn that he rediscovered it. And there are those who are outside of Christ And they've never been forgiven. They may have asked for forgiveness for this, that, or the other. But they've never seen that they're dead in sin and need to cry out for forgiveness of their sin. We pray that this would be the day of revelation. And for this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, again, this is a believer, but I just, uh, I'm reminded, uh, <clears throat> I'm sure all of us, at some point in time, we use the terminology of forgiveness, and we ask for forgiveness, and someone gives us forgiveness, and, and uh, there's a plane for all of that, but there's, there's one level that is unique. I still remember going out across the river to visit a couple, and I was under the impression that this man was lost. I'd been told that. And uh, so I'm sitting there in their living room, and he begins to tell me, well, when I was down in Alabama, and we'd lost everything, and we were selling furniture out of the house just to put food on the table, and there was no job, and, and there was a church building somewhere nearby, and I'd walk down to it, the doors were open, and I would go in and pray. I said, that's wonderful, but that's not the same 
as going to the Lord and asking to be forgiven of your sins because you knew that you were lost and needed a Savior. So he thought about that for a moment, and he said, Well, in the last few months, when I come home from work, I've been reading my Bible every night. And I said, That's wonderful. But have you been reading your Bible because you realize that you were lost and you were under the condemnation of sin and under the wrath of God and you needed to be forgiven and be a child of God? Well, God was at work because he readily realized no. But before that evening was out, he, of his own volition, by the grace of God, humbled himself before the Lord and cried out for forgiveness of his sin and to receive Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And he walked with God for a number of years. We used to love to hear him sing Amazing Grace from this pulpit. He's with the Lord now, has been for several years. Blessed forgiveness. King David cries out, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. This foundation, the foundation upon which all other experiences of blessedness rest, is God's forgiveness. In Psalm 32, the first two verses again, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth or charges not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. A sudden burst of joy. And we find out that there had been a problem plaguing the psalmist. He was guilty... Look in those first two verses. He he uses four different words to describe his guilt. Transgression, apostasy, departure, sin, the missing of God's mark, iniquity, there is a twistedness, there is a distortion, there is something warped from the straight line of what is right, and then deceit or guile, a snare. What had happened? Well, most of you, maybe all of you, know of the life of David. And he had deceitful wickedness in his heart, and he was trapped in a snare of his own making. We think it was probably at least about a year from the time he sinned with Bathsheba till the time that he repented. What was he doing during that time? He was functioning as a king, probably going to worship. For all I know, he may have written a psalm during that time. I don't know. How well hidden was it? I don't know. But regardless of how well hidden it was, it was not hidden from him. Obviously, it was not hidden from God. But he was in turmoil. In James chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, we're told that this is not just a problem for David. But every person is tempted when he or she is drawn away, enticed, baited by his own evil desire, lusts, or passions. And 
Then when evil desire has conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it is fully matured, brings forth death. That's the world we live in. And sometimes we see all of that around us, and we fail to pull up the mirror and say, what's going on in my life? All those outside of Christ are trapped in various ways by this four-headed monster. Transgression, sin, iniquity, deceit. Every Christian prior to salvation, you were trapped by this monster. And there are times in a Christian's life, you may be in such a time right now, when like David, in an area of your life, you're trapped for a time by this monster. And if you're God's child, God will love you and chasten you. And he'll bring you back. He'll bring a Nathan into your life. It could be this very message. Transgressed. He departed from God's holy law. He was in sin, far from the mark of God's holy standard. His life was all messed up with secret crookedness, iniquity. He found it very difficult to be honest about himself. Deceit was reigning. Is a little bit of this painful because you understand you've been there and done that? Or are you just lying? Have you ever noticed that when we are in such a condition that we have another tendency? Just like David. When we have sin and deceit and transgressions and iniquity in our lives and we're not dealing with it, we're not repenting of it, we are much more apt to be judgmental towards someone else. While we are trapped and enslaved by this four-headed monster of transgression, sin, iniquity, deceit. David was trapped. And God mercifully, graciously brought along Pastor Nathan. Brother David, I want to tell you about something going on in your world. There's this guy has thousands of sheep. He's going to have a feast. He's got folks coming over. He's going to have a big feast. He wants to kill a lamb. He's got a neighbor who only has one lamb. So this guy with the thousands of sheep who's going to have a big feast, he goes over and takes the one lamb of his neighbor and slaughters it. And immediately David says, Not in my kingdom! He'll repay fourfold. And he listed out four things. And Nathan said, David, you're the man. That's what you've done. A sign of being enslaved is blindness to your own slavery and judgmentalism toward others. It's frightening how judgmental Christians can be of others at times. 
Now in verse 3 and 4, we know that for, as we've indicated, for many months, David had hid, denied, kept silent about his sin. What was really going on in his life? Regardless of what appeared to be on the outside, now he's, he's been forgiven. He's already had the experience that's set forth in testimony in Psalm 51. He's now rejoicing in forgiveness as he's burst out with the praise in the first two verses. And Now, what, what's behind all of this? He said, well, when I kept silence. My bones wax old through my roaring all the day long, for... Day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned to the drought of summer. Shelah. That means think on that. You say, well, I know some people. Or you might say, I've got stuff going on and I'm not worried about it. Boy, that's deadly. That is dangerous. If you or somebody you know is enwrapped in this monster of sin transgressions and iniquity and they're not concerned about it oh what a what a blindness and they could just be pretending I don't know what David was doing during that time period but I know he tells us here's what was going on in his heart Day and night thy hand was upon me. My moisture is turned to drought of summer. While hiding and covering his sin, David made some painful discoveries. Sinful pleasure quickly turns to pain. You know that, don't you? You've lived long enough to know that. To heavy chains of remorse and regret and guilt. Sooner or later... Sin always brings misery. No matter how pleasurable it may be at the moment. Proverbs, 19, Proverbs 9, verse 13 through 15. Let me try it one more time. Proverbs 9, verse 13 through 18. The foolish woman is simple and open to all forms of evil. And she knows nothing whatsoever of eternal value. Verse 14, for she sits at the door of her house or on a seat in the conspicuous places of town, calling to those who pass by. Whoever is simple, wavering, and easily led astray, let him turn in there. And as for him who lacks understanding, she says to him, Stolen waters, pleasures are sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he knows not that the dead are there, and that her invited guests are already sunk in the depths of Sheol, the lower part of the world, Hades, the place of the dead. You know, we live in a, a little bit different world today. You don't have to go to the shady part of town. You don't have to even live on the right side of town and, and, and have to wait for some harlot person to come by. 
You don't have to be as a friend of mine doing his business, carrying out his business, and the harlots come by and entice him day and night. You have a cell phone, don't you? Huge percentages of people who are sitting in pews this morning and in pulpits are going to those filthy fountains. If you are being enslaved in that way, if you're not being careful and you are allowing your children to have unlimited, unguarded access to that little machine, you're playing with fire. But that's not the only thing that gets us. 1 Timothy 6.10 warns of the deadliness of the love of money. For the love of money, not money, but the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. What about attitudes? We quickly justify our anger and resentments and refusals to forgive but oh, how they eat our souls and lead us into paths of bitterness that destroy many. Sooner or later, sin of whatever flavor always brings misery. But there's something far more deadly than all of that. What would that be? unconfessed and unrepented of sin in whatever category you're tempted to be enslaved with or are enslaved with. Unconfessed and unrepented sin is a double hell here on earth. The psalmist said in three, verse 3 and 4 again, when I kept silence... My bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me, and my moisture turned to the drought of summer. In Psalm 38, verse 2 through 7, from a different translation, Your arrows have struck deep, and your blows are crushing me. Because of your anger, my whole body is sick. My health is broken because of my sins. My guilt overwhelms me as a burden too heavy for me to bear. My wounds fester and sink because of my foolish sins. I am bent over and racked with pain. My days are filled with grief. A raging fever burns within me and my health is broken. We don't have to worry about any of that. We have psychologists and pills galore. Bad way to go. King David was spiritually, emotionally, physically bowed down, not merely because of his sin, but because his sin was unconfessed and unrepented of. Such sin, unconfessed and unrepented, diseases the totality of our being 
David was estranged from God. He was psychologically pained with guilt. He was physically weakened with various diseases. Surely one of the things we can learn from this is that sin is not only always wrong, it's never worth it. It's never worth it. And refusing to confess and repent of sin only deepens the problem indeed. You probably, many of you have Psalm 66, 18 marked in your Bible. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. If I regard, that is, if I secretly cherish, if I delight in, if I nurse iniquity in my heart, God will not hear me. I'm glad Psalm 32 doesn't end with verse 4. I'm glad we got the front end of verse 1 and 2. But notice in verse 5. Here is he's going now and testifying of the transition that took place. I acknowledged my sin unto thee. And mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin, Shelah. Chew on that. Oh, that's good news. Well, I've got all this sin, and I I need to confess to somebody, and and, uh, I don't know of anybody in particular I trust or... Uh, I'd be ashamed to confess uh, this one or that one, or and I might go to a pastor or whoever, and uh, maybe that's what I should do. There, there is a place for walking in the light with brothers and sisters who can help us go toward the Lord, but who we need to go to is the Lord himself and the privilege of the Christian and the privilege of the sinner is to go directly to the throne of grace. Go to the head of the stream and confess not your sin, not your neighbor's sin, not your brother's sin, not your sister's sin. I need to confess my sin. And so David opens his heart in his hand and he gave to God the keys to every room of his heart, including all the closets are you here today? And there's some rooms in your life. There's some closets, well hidden. But in your heart of hearts, you're in misery. Because this monster of sin has a hold of you. Notice forgiveness births praise and rejoicing in God and a new and bold faith in God. Verse 5, I acknowledge my sin to thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Notice he didn't try to go through a bunch of hoops. He didn't try to impress God with any promises. I'll do better, or I'll never do it again. He's not offering up to God anything that is going to come from his self-effort. He's going to the mercy seat. He's going to God himself and says, I've sinned. As he says in Psalm 51, I sinned and you were looking at it. You were watching me. 
In Psalm 51, he never mentions Bathsheba. Lord, I was just, uh, yes, I wasn't on the battlefield, but I've been, I needed rest. And I was just up on top of my building, just enjoying your wonderful scenery. And how did I know a naked woman would be down there? You're sovereign God. You could have kept that from happening. He could have. He didn't. But David is not blaming God or Bathsheba or anyone. I sinned. You were looking on. Cleanse me. Forgive me. Isn't it wonderful that you don't have to go through a bunch of hoops? You just have to come with a clear conscience before, with, a, with your guilty conscience before God and say, Oh God, I've sinned. Please forgive me. In verse 6, for this everyone that is godly shall pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh to thee. For this forgiveness that everyone who is godly pray. Verse 7, thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt surround me about with songs of deliverance. Shelah. Are you a forgiven man, woman, young person today? Joying in forgiveness? Bursting forth with praise in your heart? So aware of what you used to be and so grateful for what God has done? And you're just ready to bless the Lord and ready to be teachable. The most teachable moments in our lives are when we are honest before God and we truly repent and rest in his forgiveness. And so in verse 8 he says, God says to him, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which you should go and I will guide you with my eye. Don't be like the horse or the mule with no understanding, whose mouth must be held with a bit and bridle, lest they come near to thee. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusteth in the Lord, mercy shall compass or surround him about. I think one of the reasons why the psalmist was so full of songs and praise, he was so conscious of having been forgiven. God is calling us to a teachable spirit to follow up on repentance. Thou art my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. Be glad in the Lord. Rejoice, ye righteous. Shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. Can you think back to a time when you went from being burdened down by this monster of sin and iniquity and transgression and deceit and you repented and just the load fell off and you were rejoicing in forgiveness. Same experience when you come from death to life and you're born again and your sins are forgiven and now you're in Christ and, and you're rejoicing in him. And, and as a believer, when you've allowed yourself to go down that wrong road and you grieve the Holy Spirit and you've uh, shamed the name of the Lord and but now you've repented and you're restored and you're happy in Jesus ready to sing 
Oh, blessed forgiveness. Transgressions forgiven, lifted, carried out of sight, sin covered, not covered up, but covered with the blood of Jesus and put as far as the east is from the west and he remembers them against us no more. I don't believe what the preacher said when he said one day a man was traveling through Europe in his Mercedes Benz no, excuse me, a little bit higher up on the he was in a Rolls Royce and it broke down and the Rolls Royce company sent people over and fixed it and he thought that's going to cost me an arm and a leg he never got a bill so he wrote them and they wrote him back we have no record of a Rolls Royce ever breaking down anywhere. And so the preacher said, that's what God has done for us. You've sinned. He's forgiven you. He has no record that you've ever sinned. That's a lie. We could not have Psalm 32. We could not have Psalm 51 and a whole lot of the rest of the Bible. God does not have memory lapse of our past sins. He knows everything we've ever done. But when it's under the blood of Jesus Christ, he remembers it against us no more. And that's far greater than memory lapse. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Iniquity, not charged to our account. Paid in full by Jesus. In our stead at Calvary, deceit destroyed. Someone has well said God's forgiveness not only cancels the penalty, but it lets all the air out of sin's power. Are you experiencing blessed forgiveness? I have something very alarming to say. There are some people who can never be forgiven. Never. If you refuse to own your sin, if you refuse to repent of your sin, if you refuse to confess your sin to God, you cannot be forgiven. You're here today, and maybe you've got all kinds of excuses. Somebody else is to blame. Somebody else did this. Somebody else did that. And because of all that, you sin. No, you stand on your own two feet, and nobody's to blame of anything except I've sinned. And unless I am willing to stand before God or sit before God or fall down before God and, and cry out, Oh, Lord God, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. Cleanse me. I'll never be forgiven. However, all who confess their sin, who own responsibility for their sin, there is a mercy seat. There's a pardoning God. The blood of Jesus goes on cleansing from all sin. God is merciful and gracious. We enter that blessed state of forgiveness at the cross. Have you been to the cross? 
where you lay down all of your weapons and you lay down all of your excuses and all of your hopes and tries and efforts to get to heaven some other way. And you said, Lord Jesus, you're the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way to heaven except through you. By your grace, I'm bowing and saying, Lord Jesus, save me now. Forgiveness comes at the mercy seat, not by the merit seek. We never can merit God's mercy. Let us be astounded. I don't know who wrote this. Tis the offended God who is the forgiving God. The God whose name we have profaned, whose patience we have abused, whose laws we have broken, whose mercy we have slighted, and whose glory we have stained. He is the one ready to forgive all who come to him. He will in no wise cast out. This morning, saint or sinner, burdened down with sin, come to Jesus and find great grace, great forgiveness, great mercy. Come to Jesus and find grace greater than all your sin. Our Father, we thank you for the fact that we will have the privilege to come to your table that reminds us that you are the forgiving God, the, the God who has paid the sin debt. And we come to rejoice in the amazing wonder of the crucified, risen Christ work in the hearts of each and every person here according to the need. And we bless you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.